0: One in the bag is as good as two in the bush. Welcome to the Four Corners Crimecast. My name is Jake. My name is Rory. And
1: I'm your host, Katie, and today we are talking about the kidnapping of Samantha Koenig.
0: And uh, where are we going for this one, Katie?
1: This is in Anchorage, Alaska.
0: Far from the Four Corners, but it gets down into the Four Corners, right? Eventually. Eventually. That's all that matters. And uh, where would you do your research on this one, Katie?
1: The main book for this one was American Predator by Maureen Callahan. And then I also used the FBI's website and their YouTube channel where they have six hours of interviews with Israel Keys, which I do not recommend watching.
0: Israel Keys. Or like Israel G's, Am I right? Geez, that guy's a bastard. <laughs> <laughs> where did we get the idea for this? coming episode.
1: This one was recommended by Jake's sister, Elise.
0: You want to go ahead and start us off on this one, Katie?
1: Anchorage, Alaska is somewhat of a lawless place, a city where people can go to disappear and start a new life.
0: Which we learned from Dexter. He was in Maine, Canada-ish. No, that was Walter White. I'm pretty sure Dexter didn't go around all of South America to Florida to come up to get to Alaska by his boat. He went up north to Canada. You think? Nova Scotia. I don't think you know shit, buddy. Oh, okay. Did you research it this morning? Did you? Well, Well, Walter White. Hmm. He went to Maine. Hmm.
1: If you love winter and nighttime, it's the place for you. If you're unconcerned about crime rates, even better, as Anchorage's crime rate is one of the highest in the nation leaving you around a 1 in 9 chance of becoming a victim of a crime, 1 in 80 chance of it being a violent crime. If you're lucky enough to avoid being raped or robbed, you still have a high chance of hitting a moose on the highway and dying in a collision, or if you're like two extremely unlucky people, you may just be stomped to death by one. Not to mention the fact that you may eventually come face to face with either a grizzly or a black bear.
0: Do we have any moose-icide statistics supporting the chances of being involved in a deadly experience of moose-like persuasions? Um, Well, we know of at least two.
1: That were stomped to death. I'm sure plenty of people have been in a collision that killed them.
0: Well, luckily for you, I've got some moose facts. And it's now time for the Alaskan Moose Facts with Jake. First moose fact. First moose fact. The Alaskan Moose or... Alcis Alsis Gigas, that's a scientific name, is the largest of the moose family, and they live in a large area spanning from Alaska to the western Yukons of Canada, eh? And roads with high moose populations average about 15 to 20 mooseicides per year. So there's that information for you. And that's, uh, you know, most of those areas get about 8,000 traffic encounters a day. So that's not very many mooseicides. A summertime, loving Alaskan moose can eat up to 73 pounds of food a day, and bull mooses shed their antlers every winter and grow a new, better pair each spring. And that's just the start of Alaskan Moose Facts with Jake. Thanks, buddy.
1: On February 2nd, 2012, 18-year-old Samantha Koenig was reported missing to police. She had been working the night shift at a small roadside coffee kiosk when she disappeared. The barista that came in to open was the one who reported her missing, as when she arrived things were in disarray and money was missing. When police arrived, they noticed that the kiosk had a panic button that hadn't been used. To them, it looked like Samantha had taken the money herself and ran off, not a terribly surprising story for an 18-year-old girl who had apparently been fighting with her boyfriend right before she vanished. Detective Monique Dahl was given the case and was later joined by FBI Special Agent Steve Payne. Because it appeared to be a run-of-the-mill runaway case, police didn't take off the kiosk as a crime scene, instead letting the barista serve customers all day.
0: Did they question that barista? Because, you know, it seems like she could have just come in and staged the whole scene, taken the money, put it in her car, served coffee all day, and then had just a little extra bankroll at the end of the day.
1: I mean, I'm sure they talked to her, but she reported Samantha missing, so...
0: Yeah, that's exactly what the murderer would do. How do you get assigned to a de- case like this if you're a detective? It just falls onto your desk? Do, you or do like, they? Huh? Yeah. Oh, they don't like, they don't think like, this person would be good for this case, slap this case over to them, send this case, It's old you know.
1: It's pretty much rotating, so, because if you're assigning it by who would be good, then one detective is going to have one case a month, and another detective is going to have 30. So you have to... Even they really well, yeah. spread them out. And they also have different departments like homicide, sex a, crimes.
0: A good detective could get through like thirty cases a month though, and a shitty detective can only get through one.
1: It's not how detective right. <laughs> being a detective works at all. Samantha's father was convinced otherwise, standing outside the kiosk all day waiting for her to either show up for her shift or answer her phone. Surveillance footage showed that he was right.
0: What time did the coffee shop close?
1: 8, I believe. She was supposed to be picked up at 8.30.
0: Okay, so it wasn't like a terribly late in the middle of the night coffee shop. No. But it was dark, right?
1: Yeah, it's Alaska.
0: Alaska's light for six months. (laughs) Like you've never been to Alaska or something. In
1: February, though? The video begins with Samantha casually cleaning the kiosk as a customer, who's perfectly out of frame, walks up to the window. Around two minutes in, Samantha walks over and shuts the lights off making it difficult to see what's happening. Samantha puts her hands up, and you can barely make out what looks like the muzzle of a gun pointed at her through the window. Her captor must have ordered her to the ground as she drops to her knees for a bit before getting up, taking cash from the register, and handing it through the window. Around five minutes in, Samantha turns her back to the window, and her arms are tied behind her back.
0: So he reached in through the window and tied her hands behind her back? hmm Do we know what his demands were when he first got there? and had her turn off the lights. Did he know about the cameras or anything like that? was he just telling her to turn off the lights so nobody pulls in?
1: I don't know exactly what he told her when Hmm. he was kidnapping her. I don't think he ever said, but it was mostly, I'm just here for money. I'm not going to hurt you. The typical stuff you say to quell somebody. I see. A few minutes go by with nothing happening, and then the man jumps through the window into the kiosk. After a few minutes inside, he places his arm around her and the two walk out together. Altogether, Samantha's abductor was at the kiosk for 17 minutes, seven of them outside, ten inside. It's important to note that not only was this a popular coffee stand, it was also next to a well-traveled road. Somehow, for 17 minutes, this man was able to hold Samantha at gunpoint without anyone noticing a thing was wrong.
0: Yeah, and in one of the camera angles, you can actually see cars passing by on the main, like, highway that's right there. Oh, and that one car gets, like, the people come out and get in their car. That's when he, like, jumped into the kiosk. He was trying to hide or something.
1: Yeah, so pretty much all they could tell from the surveillance is that he was very tall. So he was obviously pretty far off the ground, and he jumped in like it was nothing.
0: He had hops.
1: Based on how calm Samantha seemed to be through the whole encounter and the absolute brazenness of her abductor... APD detectives began to think that the crime may have all been a ruse.
0: Fun fact, cops can smell a ruse from a mile away.
1: Detective Dahl, now joined by Detective Jeff Bell, decided to interview Samantha's father, James Koenig, and her boyfriend, Dwayne, for the second time. Dwayne explained that he arrived a little late to pick Samantha up the night she was kidnapped, around 8.30. When he got there, he noticed that the lights were off inside the kiosk and Samantha was nowhere to be seen. He also noticed napkins and towels strewn about, but didn't want to trigger an alarm and be accused of breaking in, so he just left and went home.
0: That sounds like something a murderer would say as their, like, excuse. Yeah, I was there, but nothing went right, so I just went home.
1: Around three hours later, Samantha texted him, quote, F you asshole. I know what you did. I'm going to spend a couple of days with friends. Need time to think. Plan acting weird to let my dad know.
0: Did that seem like something that followed her character?
1: They had been fighting all day, so I assume in this context, yes. It's just the plan acting weird is what kind of confused everybody. Hmm. But this wasn't like horribly out of character. Like she didn't spell that way or something. It seemed like it did come from her, which more than likely it did. Just not at her will. Samantha and Dwayne had been fighting basically all day over the fact Dwayne had been flirting with other women, and Samantha was apparently done with him for the night. He waited for her to come home, and around 3 a.m., he felt a strange urge to go outside. When he opened the door, he saw a tall man wearing a mask rummaging through his and Samantha's shared pickup truck. The two made eye contact for a brief moment before the man turned and walked away. Dwayne went back inside and told James, but neither really did anything until an hour later when Dwayne searched the truck. Samantha's license was missing, but everything else was still there. Somehow sensing zero urgency from the situation, Dwayne went to bed and slept in till 9.30. When he was asked why he nor James ever reported Samantha missing to police, they both said that they were unaware you do not have to wait 24 hours before filing a report.
0: At this point, I have to imagine the Detective doll rolled her eyes so hard that they got stuck in the back of her head. Yeah, was Dwayne kind of oblivious to the world? How old was he?
1: I couldn't find anywhere exactly how old he was, but I assume probably the same age as Samantha. But I mean, it's still relatively common, even today, for people to think that you still have to wait 24 hours to report someone missing. I see. Detective Doll was rightfully suspicious of the men. Not just because of their actions, but because they were the two closest people to Samantha, and the husband-slash-boyfriend is always the first suspect. She decided to send a few officers to their home unannounced to see how they'd react. Interestingly, neither James nor Duane would let the officers even get a brief peek inside the house. When they stepped outside, they cracked the door just enough to squeeze out and shut it immediately behind them, like they had something they were hiding inside the house.
0: Drugs, probably. Or bodies.
1: No, Rory's right. It was just a bunch of marijuana.
0: Don't be scared of a little weed, guys.
1: It's not legal everywhere.
0: It's all good, guys.
1: With so many red flags flying, Detective Bell was assigned with surveilling James round the clock. Although it sounds like James was only being sketchy, he was actually doing a lot of good during this time as well. He created flyers with Samantha's photo and handed them out to anyone and everyone, set up a candlelight vigil, and also created a reward fund to hopefully encourage someone to speak up. Nine days after Samantha's kidnapping, James had set up a tip line and a volunteer site right next to the kiosk, along with a huge sign with a photo of Samantha with kidnapped underneath.
0: Which is also something that a kidnapper would do.
1: Of course, the tip line and police investigation led to some pretty interesting stories. Detectives were told that the Russian mafia was involved, the Hells Angels were involved, Samantha was a drug dealer and stealing from her supplier, and that Samantha had stolen five grand from James a week before she disappeared. Of course, this was just the rumor mill spinning quickly and out of control.
0: Also, Alaska is kind of boring, so... An Alaskan moose can run up to 35 miles per hour pretty easily and swim it up to six miles an hour. So. I, was, I was hoping that the Alaskan fact would be about Alaska not being boring, not a moose. It's exciting to watch a moose run thirty-five miles an hour, bro. Okay.
1: Three weeks went by with no movement in the case and zero sign of Samantha. Until February twenty-fourth, when Dwayne got a text from Samantha's phone. It read, quote, "Connor Park sign under pick of Albert. Ain't she party? It was referencing a bulletin board at the nearby Connors Bog Park. Underneath a picture of a missing poster for a dog named Albert was a Ziploc bag containing a ransom note and photocopied Polaroids of Samantha.
0: Too bad it wasn't a missing cat, and then he could have said, Ain't she purdy?
1: I'm sure he was really looking for a pun. Yeah. When he was
0: most of these killers do if they're smart they're looking for puns because how else are you going to be remembered in the annals of history
1: one of the pictures showed her with duct tape over her mouth and the other with a man holding her head up next to a copy of a newspaper dated february 13th 11 days after samantha had gone missing
0: and boy what a picture it's uh, quite frightening yeah it's a little creepy to say the least But you know who wasn't bothered by any of this pictures? Nothing bothered her. Detective Dahl. She stayed stoic.
1: The ransom letter, referencing the ATM card that Samantha had with her, said, quote, I may not use the card much in Alaska due to small pop, but as I will be leaving soon, I will be using it all over. She did almost get away twice, once on Tudor, which is a road, and once in the desert. Must be losing my touch.
0: What's a small pop?
1: I have no idea. This is just a snippet of the letter, which has never been released in full by the FBI. The rest went on to demand $30,000 deposited into the account linked to the debit card and claimed if the money was provided, Samantha would be released in six months.
0: That's a really creepy request. Like, you get the money and then you get to keep your kidnapping victim for six months before they get her back. Seems like he was probably just thinking it was the best idea ever because he could just get the money and then have a six-month head start before anyone realized he wasn't going to follow through on his end of the deal.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, they pretty much all knew that they weren't going to get Samantha back because if you kidnap someone strictly for ransom, you want that person away from you as quickly as possible. You don't keep them for six months, so... This was their first sign that this was more than likely not just a kidnapping.
0: Spoiler alert.
1: Because the note had hinted that Samantha may have been transported out of Alaska and into the lower 48, it officially became a federal crime and the FBI's case, although the APD detectives were still working closely with them. Special Agent Payne brought on investigators Jolene Godin and Kat Nelson, along with the brilliant minds back at Quantico.
0: So they brought the Payne.
1: I mean, he was already there. It, ah, the pain was already involved. The
0: pain was already there.
1: They first sent the ransom note and photographs left at the park, hoping some sort of forensic evidence was left on them. There was also one question they were hoping could be answered. Was Samantha alive or dead in the photos? The team was split. Some believed she was alive and that they should hold out. And they should hold out hope the ransom note was telling the truth while others were pretty sure that they were working a kidnapping and a murder. An expert in snuff films at Quantico, which I cannot believe is even a job title, looked at the photos and couldn't give them a definitive answer.
0: So this guy had this very, very specific job, right? Like, what he was there for. And I just imagine he's just like the knight who guards the Holy Grail, and he waits years and years and years and years for his moment to arrive, for his moment to arrive, His moments shine, and when the time comes, he's just too old and rusty to effectively do his job.
1: I can't believe that anyone would want to spend their time watching snuff films.
0: My guess is that this is like a couple-year rotating job that no person just sits down and is like, Okay, well, I'm going to sit here for the rest of my 25-year career at the FBI and watch people die on film and see if it's real.
1: And, like, was he an expert before he applied at Quantico? Was that, like, his, like, in? He was like, yeah, I know a lot about snuff films. I've watched (laughs) tons of them.
0: Never made a snuff film, but I've watched a lot.
1: The easiest way to find out if Samantha was alive would be to catch their kidnapper, which should have been simple enough by tracking the use of Samantha's debit card after depositing the money onto it. Oddly enough, the problem they ran into was James Koenig. He felt he couldn't be sure the note was real, and he did not want to dip into the $60,000 he had raised in the reward fund if it turned out to be fake, logic that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Finally, after five days of convincing, James put five of the $30,000 into the account. All that was left to do was wait and see if the kidnapper was dumb enough to use something so easily tracked.
0: Seems like James wasn't interested in losing his daughter and a bunch of money.
1: He wasn't concerned about losing the money. He was concerned that the ransom note was fake and I guess nothing was going to happen, which if it was fake, then whoever wrote it's still not going to have access to the money. So, yeah, like, it's a win-win situation. He's either going to not use it and you still have 30 grand or he's going to use it and you're going to have the person that took your daughter.
0: So. Well, the key here, if you think the ransom note is fake, you've got to deposit fake cash. You fight fake with fake. Everybody knows this. You should call up Quantico and tell them.
1: They were all shocked as four hours later, someone attempted to make a withdrawal at an Anchorage bank. They were unsuccessful as they tried to take out $600 and you're limited to $500 a day. Less than two hours later, another withdrawal was made, this time for 500 at a bank around six minutes away from the first. Half an hour away, after midnight, another withdrawal came through at a bank across town. As they were watching this, they learned that the second bank had working security cameras, and the footage would be available for them the next day.
0: Which, this was 2012, so we got decent security cameras to to rely on here, right? They still kind of look like a potato. Yeah. Yeah,
1: they're not the best, and he was also wearing a mask and a hoodie, and he was very good at parking where he knew it wouldn't catch his car.
0: But maybe still better than the videos in the Rick Chance murder. Possibly.
1: Probably. They sent the footage off to one of the image analysts at Quantico, hoping to clear them up, but not much could be seen. The suspect was wearing a jacket that appeared to say core, meaning he was either currently or had been a Marine. Besides that, they were still SOL.
0: But it does confirm that whoever had the card was back in Alaska. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Quantico experts repeatedly are failing us here. I'm just going to say it. It might not be a hot... You know,
1: they can't just make evidence.
0: You know, they can though. They can't. They do it in all kinds of cases. Fabrication. It's what we do at Quantico. You do that
1: after you catch somebody.
0: To seal the deal.
1: Mm-hmm. Their first big break came when they realized they'd never looked at the surveillance footage from the Home Depot across the street from the coffee kiosk. In it, they could see a white Chevy pickup pull into the parking lot around seven forty-five. After sitting about ten minutes, he got out and walked across the street. When he returned twenty minutes later, he was walking with his arm around Samantha, looking almost like a normal couple. When they began to cross the street, though, Samantha pulled away and ran. Somehow going completely unnoticed, the kidnapper ran after her and tackled her, standing her back up and whispering something in her ear. She complied and walked back to the truck, where they stood outside and waited for the people next to them to get into their car. Once again, unnoticed.
0: So is it fair to assume she did not know her kidnapper?
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Did the fact that she was sort of willingly went with him after he said something to her? Maybe he knew her family or had something on her that he was using as leverage? I mean, you're tied up and a man has a gun pointed at you. You don't really need that much leverage to get someone to do what you want. Yeah. Yeah, except they always say, like... If they tell you not to scream, scream, because you don't want to be hauled off and killed somewhere else. You want to be killed right there. Pow, pow. Yeah, they're always saying that.
1: Most people assume, people that have been in this situation, assume that if they tell you, if you comply, I'm not going to kill you, that you should comply, and hopefully they don't kill you.
0: It's a slippery slope and a sticky situation all at the same time.
1: On March 7th, another withdrawal was made, this time in the lower forty-eight. $400 $400 was taken from a bank in Wilcox, Arizona, a small town to the east of Tucson. An hour later, the card was used again, this time in Lordsburg, New Mexico, but the card was still at its daily limit, so the suspect checked the balance. Based on surveillance footage, they were able to tell that he was driving a light-colored sedan, most likely a rental car. They placed a vague bolo across multiple states, assuming that he would continue to travel in I-10. The card was used again in Humboldt and Shepherd, Texas, so the bolo hit the desk of the Texas Rangers.
0: One of whom didn't get the memo, and he came in wearing a regular tie that day. He felt silly. Are the Rangers like the FBI of Texas?
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, they're intense. Yeah? They will. If you give them something to solve, they'll fucking solve it, and they're going to be wearing a cowboy hat while they do it.
0: That's pretty legit. I heard they don't do push-ups. They push the world down. Mm. I hear that they don't run. They're walkers.
1: Steve Rayburn decided he would be the ranger in charge of the search and got in contact with the FBI. He learned that the night before, an officer had seen a white Ford Focus around the time of the withdrawal in Humble, and surveillance footage confirmed that's what their suspect was driving. They'd also learned that the most commonly rented car in the entire United States was a Ford Focus. Rayburn had a feeling that he'd continue to move on US-59, a highway that traveled through Lufkin. Around 11 o'clock, he got a call from an officer who spotted a white Focus sitting outside a quality Inn right off of US-59. When they arrived, they noticed that it was, in fact, a rental car.
0: Oh, shit. So if you're ever, like, looking to buy a new car, look up the most rented car in America and don't buy that. Because that'll keep you out of a murder investigation or two. Or do buy it and slip unnoticed throughout hundreds of cities. Maybe. Maybe. Poor resale value, though.
1: They backed off and waited to see if anyone came out of the hotel. Around 11.30, an officer noticed that a man was standing on the second-story balcony watching the car. After a few minutes, he loaded some stuff up and got in, pulling out and heading towards US-59.
0: Did he see them watching him and get spooked?
1: I don't think anything scared him. I don't think cops being in his presence made him nervous at all. He was just that calm cool and collected an officer trailed him waiting and hoping he'd commit some minor traffic violation that would allow them to pull him over they got their chance when he hit 57 miles an hour 2 miles over the speed limit
0: that seems like a little bit of a stretch
1: I mean it's legal it's a legal traffic stop
0: are you not allowed to pull someone over going 1 mile an hour over the speed limit
1: you can if they're going over the speed limit they're speeding
0: I was just wondering why they waited for him to get two.
1: Oh, I don't know. It looks better in court. He probably accelerated fast enough, that. Uh. When the officer asked where he was from, he replied, Alaska. His name was Israel Keyes, an Anchorage resident who was apparently traveling to Wells, Texas, for his sister's wedding. Although seemingly calm and collected, Keyes gave a very long and drawn-out explanation of why he was in Texas and how he got there, an indication that he was lying. He was also sweating profusely, but this could go either way in my opinion. Apparently it was around 85 degrees out, which just someone from Alaska is probably pretty warm, as they usually are around the high 60s, low 70s maximum.
0: I sweat profusely all the time. I'm sweating profusely right now in this room. So is everybody. Let's continue.
1: Keys continued to raise suspicion when he refused to let them search his wallet. Luckily for everyone involved, Keys had been pulled over in Texas, a state that has pretty lax search and seizure laws. If officers believe the car has been used in the commission of a crime, they're allowed to search it. This allowed them full access to everything inside Keyes' car, which was a lot. Most of it was unimportant, but a few things stood out. He had a pretty decent amount of porn in the trunk, clothes that matched the surveillance footage from the banks, a ski mask, gloves, rolled up money that was covered in ink similar to what is used to mark money that has been taken during a bank robbery, and most importantly, Samantha Koenig's driver's license in his wallet. By sheer luck, they had their man.
0: And by sheer luck, he was worse at ditching his incriminating items than a bad guy in a Nick Cage movie. Like, who just walks around with their murder kit?
1: Pretty much like a a one-in-a-million chance that they were going to catch this guy with how covert he was being. His rental car was unsuspicious. He left no evidence at the scene. They had no actual surveillance footage of him. It was, like, pure fucking luck that they just happened to find him and make the right decision, basically.
0: What kind of porn do you think he had? That's a good question.
1: Uh, Most of it was transgender porn.
0: Oh, no shit. Interesting.
1: He was bisexual. So that's why I left that out. Hmm. It wasn't, like, any sort of... Like, Freaky weird.
0: Is that going to do it for us this week, Katie?
1: That is it. Yep. Yeah, we'll pick up next week.
0: This is a two part episode? Yes. All right. So that does it for part one this week. All right, guys. So if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to send us an email at fourcornerscrimecast at gmail.com. That's F O U R Cornerscrimecast at gmail.com.
1: You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash fourcornerscrimecast on Instagram at fourcornerscrimecast.com on Twitter at four corners cast and at four com,
0: And don't forget to head over to Apple Podcasts podcast and give us a rate and review there. follow us on follow us on Spotify or check out our and check out our website fourcornerscrimecast.com, where you can go for a full episode list or to give us a suggestion for an episode that you would like to hear or to get your sticker mailed out to you for free by typing the code Bingo bango at checkout. So just remember, it is illegal to whisper in someone's ear while they're about to shoot a moose in Alaska. A little old fact for you. Okay, Throwback guys. fact. We'll talk to you next week.
1: See ya. Adios, motherfuckers!
0: <music> We're going to talk about some juiciness, so we got some intro, mm-hmm. or we just going to get down to brass tacks?